faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, for by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And then for the next 30 verses, it talks about faith, faith's hall of fame or great champions of faith who by faith conquered, by faith took great steps and had confidence in God and God blessed them. But there's one thing that I don't hear preached about or taught that often, and that is when you look at the list in Hebrews chapter 11, you quickly notice that many of these men's faith put them in risky positions. Their confidence in God and their faith in God and their obedience by faith to God put them in risky positions. Notice it talks about Noah. It says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Now that sounds like a good plan, to build an ark so that the rain doesn't destroy your family. But here's the question. Noah goes out on a limb and builds this ark. What if God doesn't show up? All of a sudden, he's wasted his whole life, all his resources, on building a big boat in the middle of land with no water around. So he's stuck with a big boat and a huge embarrassment. He obeyed God, but it was a risky faith. It was a dangerous faith. That if I obey and God doesn't show up, I'm embarrassed. Abraham took it a step further in this hall of faith. It talks about Abraham. How that by faith he offered, uh, it says in verse 17, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up. Even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. When God said, take your son, Abraham, your only son, the promised seed, offer him as a burnt offering for me, Abraham did what God told him to do. And Abraham's, just think about the risk level and the danger level of his faith. If God doesn't show up, Abraham goes down the mountain with the blood of his own son on his hands, goes to Uh, explain to the child's mother where's Isaac and has to spend the rest of his life being referred to as a child murderer, someone who killed his son. See, uh, the problem is when we think of faith, we think of something that's very sanitary, very comfortable, very easy, not very stressful, and something that's just kind of a little sideshow in our relationship with God. But these men and women in Scripture were people of faith that had faith that was dangerous. It was faith that was risky. Just like Abraham said, I'm going to obey God in faith, and I believe God can raise him from the dead. But what if God doesn't show up? Abraham's left with a mark of shame and sorrow for the rest of his life. Bible says Moses, when he came of age, by faith, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
That seems just like a casual choice. But don't you understand that that put him at the risk of death? Not only that, when he came before Pharaoh, responding to the voice of God, what if God doesn't show up? I'm going to be embarrassed, I'm going to be ashamed, and probably even killed. As it goes through this Faith's Hall of Fame, it talks about a woman named Rahab, who by faith left a cord hanging, even though by doing so she risked her life. A man named Gideon, who went into battle with 300 men, pots and pitchers, broke them and blew trumpets. It's an awesome story. We love to tell the story of Gideon's obedience by faith to God. But what if God hadn't showed up? Gideon and the army of 300 men would easily have been slaughtered by the host of Midian and the Amalekites. It talks about Samson, the great man of faith. David, the great man of faith, who went to face the giant, all fully armed and fully coated with nothing but a sling. The Bible says that these men, through faith, subdued kingdoms. They ensured righteousness would prevail. They obtained the promises of God. They stopped the mouths of lions. But when we look at this faith's hall of fame, we don't look at a sanitary group of people who casually exercise their faith, but we're looking at men that stepped out on nothing but the promises of God. We're looking at men and women who took risks and had a faith that put them in harm's way, had a faith that caused them to face the potential for danger. They had a faith that caused them to exclusively trust God because there no, was no other place to put their confidence in the area that they were stepping. I'm talking about dangerous faith. And I think sometimes we have forgotten that God's called us on an awesome and unbelievable and extreme and crazy adventure in living for Him and doing His will in these last days. It's put us in a position where our faith has come become domesticated. It's lost its power. It's lost its potential. We'll trust God if we got a backup plan. We'll trust God if it's not anything real big or extreme. We'll trust God if it's something easy. But I believe God is calling this church to exercise dangerous faith that says if God doesn't show up, we're in a mess. If God doesn't show up, we have nowhere else to turn. If God doesn't show up, I don't know what's going to happen. That's the kind of faith I'm talking about. Hey, we exercise faith that if God doesn't show up and it falls through, there's no harm, no foul, no blood, no problem. But the faith that was exercised in the Bible of these great champions of faith was faith that put them in risk. Amen. And not all of them came out alive. Verse 36 of chapter 11, it says, And others had trial of counsel, mockings and scourgings, yea, Moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, these great heroes, men and women of faith, that raised dead to life again. And even though many were tortured, they accepted not deliverance. Verse 37 says they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted. Tormented. This is the other side of the faith chapter. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be 
made perfect. When you look at the stories of these individuals, there's one word that comes to mind. That word is risk. Risk. Hey, you like messages about faith? We like messages about faith. Believe and you shall receive. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be opened unto you. Whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. All of these principles are scriptural principles and they're true principles. But these champions of faith are people who exercise dangerous faith. That when God said do it, they did it. When they felt prompted by the Holy Spirit, they acted in faith rather than making sure that they had a backup plan. Hey, really trusting God is stepping out and obeying him when you have no backup plan. These men and women were sold out to God. They were willing to do whatever God asked without trying to talk God out of it. Their faith was anything but safe, convenient, and domesticated. They had dangerous faith. And this week in our semester of life groups in crazy love, we're going to be talking a little bit about this dangerous, extreme faith. When we think of faith, good adjectives to use are like strong faith or great faith or faith has been tried or saving faith. But the word dangerous makes us a little uncomfortable. And while I was reading the chapter this week, again, I was reading it through again. And while I was reading, it's like I wanted to, I kept wanting to put it down. You know, some books you can't put it down. This one, I wanted to put it down because it was getting under my skin. Yeah, chapter 7 was getting under my skin because I'm a man of God. I'm a pastor. I've been living for God all these years, but I realized I found a comfort zone in my faith. And I've learned how to protect myself. And I've learned how to put myself in a position where if God doesn't show up, i got a backup plan. But I want you to know that this word, the word from this chapter this week is going to make you a little bit uncomfortable. Guess what? You you can't grow until you get a little bit uncomfortable. When you start to get a little bit uncomfortable, then you are going to start to grow. And the chapter, the title of the chapter this week is "Your Best Life Later." I think it's kind of uh, uh, taking advantage of a title of another book called. Uh, anybody know what book I'm talking about? Your best life now. Your best life now. But this talks about your best life later. And and I want to deal with something just for a moment right here. That within popular Christianity, Christianity, evangelical, spirit-filled, Pentecostal style of Christianity, there has been kind of a myoptic singular focus on certain elements of God's Word that are focused on to the exclusion of other elements elements of God's Word. In popular Christianity and evangelicalism and spirit-filled churches, it seems like the focus is almost single-mindedly on this one aspect of God's Word, and we've ignored the other part. Let me explain to you what I'm talking about. There is a lot of focus on how God is going to make your life better and how He's going to increase your bank account. And how he's going to uh, bless you with so many blessings that you're just loaded down like a donkey that can barely stand on its feet because the, the windows have opened and there's so many blessings. Now understand, this is a principle of God's word and it is truth. 
But when you look into the Word of God and you study the New Testament church, you don't see a church that was looking for its best life now. Mm-hmm. It was focused on the best life that's coming later on the other side. In the meantime, while they're here, they were turning themselves inside out, giving themselves and sacrificing themselves for the benefit of the kingdom of God and for the benefit of other people less fortunate than themselves. They were turning themselves out, not looking for their best life. Now, you know what's interesting is, guess what? We live in the most blessed culture probably in the history of the world. Do you guys understand that? You know, we get down in the dumps, things aren't going that good, the money's not flowing. You know, it's like, ah, things are tough, things are rough, things are bad. Things are bad, man, things are bad. Guess what? Things are not bad. Things are awesome. Yeah, on our worst day, it's better than 90% of the world. You guys with me? 75, 80% of the world. We live in the most blessed culture we do and guess what all the books that that are a lot of the books that are being written and the sermons are being preached are about getting more blessed you thought about that you know what we've kind of become fat we become spoiled we become confused about what this is all about and you can turn channel after channel on christian television listen to radio and so forth and and you can be uh, they continue to reinforce this idea that God is some kind of big Santa Claus who gets all of his pleasure out of out of sending you more and more blessings until you lay there like a bloated individual just soaking in a bathtub of Coca-Cola and have somebody feeding you grapes and uh, crepes and uh, Cheetos and cheese puffs and isn't life great? Look at this. I'm rolling and everything's awesome. And, and, and it's a misconception about what's serving. Because, see, it's a boring type of life. And it's a, it's, a, uh, uh, it's a very sanitary. I use that word sanitary, like cleaned off. It's all, it all looks perfect and good. And what, and what we've done is we've become guilty of, of trying to mass market the gospel in a way that's palatable to everyone and say, you know what, this gospel, it's not going to mess with your life. If It's only going to make it better. It's only going to give you greater blessings and greater resources and greater finances. That's not the message of the New Testament church. The message of the New Testament church was you're going the wrong way. You're going to end up in hell. You need to turn around. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Yeah, it's a lack of uh, it's a life of sacrifice. Yeah, there's blessings and God's good to us. But you understand that our best life is on the other side. We're pouring ourselves out here and God's going to reward us and bless us on the other side. If you believe the word of God, clap your hands right now. I'm thankful for God's blessings. I will continue to preach and teach about God's blessings. God's blessings are in the Word of God. But I'm instructed as a pastor to preach the full counsel of the Word of the Lord. And your best life is not now. Your best life is for the other side. 
Tell Stephen while the stones are coming at him. Hey, the message is, is your best life now on this earth. God's going to bless you and he's dodging stones. Tell the apostle Paul while he's sitting in a prison cell. I know you're in a prison cell, but God meant for you to live your best life now. And Paul's going to start thinking, maybe I'm doing something wrong. No, Paul's doing exactly what God told him to do. He's exercising dangerous faith. He's exercising faith and obedience to God that puts him in the pathway of risk. The apostle Paul said it this way. If we have hope in this world alone, we are of all men most miserable. That means we have poured our life so much into the kingdom of God that if God doesn't show up, we're going to be embarrassed. If God doesn't show up, our life's going to look like a waste and a disaster. But by believing God and stepping out in faith and putting our commitment on the line and putting our life on the line and walking and living for Jesus Christ in a dangerous and a risky manner, letting God prompt and direct and lead us according to His Spirit and according to His will. There's going to be a day when we're going to be rewarded openly. There's going to be a day when the whole world is judged. Amen. And everyone's works are made manifest. Everyone's works are made manifest. So this misguided theology that we're supposed to be looking for heaven here on earth. And the problem is... In the midst of all of the blessings that God has given us in this great nation, the United States of America, we have allowed our faith to become domesticated. And uh, we like to play it safe and put ourselves in situations where we are safe, even if there is no God. Walking in faith, walking in faith requires you to take steps that if God doesn't show up, uh, it's going to be a mess. If God doesn't show up, it's going to be a disaster. That's what walking in faith is. It's trusting God and letting Him lead you and guide you and understanding that my confidence and my trust is in God. When God tells us to do something, our first thing is oftentimes to try to talk Him out of it. See, there's a difference between dangerous faith and domesticated faith. There's a difference between dangerous faith and domesticated faith. I remember, let, let me just share you, with you this to kind of share with you the difference. Um, I, how many of you have ever seen a lion before, like a full-size lion? Um, how many has ever seen a full-size lion in the wild? I mean, this is the difference. See, the other day I was, it was a little over a year ago, I was visiting with my parents in Tennessee, and they took my daughters to the zoo in Memphis. And we went to the zoo, and the first place I went is I went right to where the big cats were, because I wanted to see the lions. And as I approached the lion cage, it was was like a, a glass wall that you could walk up to, and I walked up to it, and this enormous lion with a full mane was no more than 10 feet away from me. It was just sitting there. And I mean, it was, it was huge. It was glorious. It was like oh, breathtaking. It was so big. But I looked, I looked at the animal. It just looked like kind of a little bit fat and lazy and just lethargic. And then my mind went back to about 10 years prior to that. When I had an opportunity to go on a safari 
in Africa. Awesome experience. Stayed, spent the night in tents out there. Was guarded by Maasai warriors that walked the perimeter of the camp. And then during the day we would go out sometimes on foot with these warriors and they would take us to see the animals living in their habitat. It wasn't like a game reserve outside of a city. It was like there were no fences. This is where they live. And then we would go out on the Range Rovers uh, during the day, during the evening, especially because they told us that's when the lions came out. And I remember we were bumping down the roadside there in this uh, Range Rover. And uh, all of a sudden we heard something over the the CB radio loudspeaker. They came over. And I I remember what they said. They said, uh, 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 Mingi Simba, or Simba Mingi, that's how they said it, Simba Mingi. And then the driver, like, turned and went off the road into the grass. And he turned around to us and said, uh, Simba Mingi means many lions. She likes that. And so he, he drove off the road. We're bumping now. We're not on the road. We're off in the grass. And then we see a cluster of other um, of these Range Rover-style SUVs. And we pull up to it. And I remember as we saw, sit, lying in the grass there, was a pride of lions. And, and, of course, it was growing dusky. It was evening time. And so he, there, there was a, in the Range Rovers, there was a large, like a moon roof, except it was like the whole roof was out so you could stand up and, and watch outside of the Range Rover. And I remember as uh, uh, we stood up out of there and we watched as we approached the pride of lion. There were four or five other Range Rovers there. And then all of a sudden our, our driver made a turn and we were in the direct path of these lions that were kind of moving through the grass. And uh, I was standing up there. I mean, we're talking just like probably the distance from myself to uh, Brother Art, growing closer to like myself and Brother Francisco. And there was a young male with a full mane who froze in a crouched position and locked eyes with me. And... uh, all of a sudden, the guide said, get down, get down. And so we, like, come down into, the, into our seats. And uh, he told us stories about how those lions, when they crouch like that, sometimes they'll actually leap up. They've, in the past, leaped up onto the vehicles before. And so then we watched as they continued crouching, moving into the falling dusk. And they were out on a hunt. They were... They were preying on some heart of beast or wildebeest or zebra or something like that, some unfortunate prey out into the wild adventure. And I'll never forget the eyes, so fiery, so alive, so intense, so dangerous. But then here I am looking at this lion sitting in the cage in Memphis. (laughs) No fire in his eyes. No, somebody threw him a steak every day. They threw threw him pieces of meat, and he just kind of sat there. My question to this lion is, were you meant to live in a cage? Were you meant to be domesticated? Absolutely not. He was not designed to live in a cage. He was designed to live out in the wild, out in the open, out in the adventure, because God equipped him with the ability to run and leap and slash with his teeth. God gave him these skills to survive in this manner. He was never intended 
to live in a cage. You may be thinking, well, what in the world does this have to do with what we're talking about tonight? The reality is, is that God's plan for us was to be dangerous. Yeah. God's plan for us was to be dangerous. God's plan for us was to, that you and I would make hell nervous. Yeah. Do you know that? You guys with me? <laughs> but when we're in a cage, when we're domesticated, when we are very cautious and careful, we cease to be what God intended for us to be. And we cease to be able to make the difference that God intended for us to make in our world. God never intended for us to be domesticated and have faith that was very cautious and careful. Let me read a verse to you. It's a very interesting verse. Ezekiel chapter 13 verse 20. It says, Wherefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against your pillows. Can you pull that verse up? Some of these people aren't going to believe it really says that. Behold, I am against your pillows. You guys remember that in your Bible reading? Wherewith ye there hunt the souls to make them fly. And I will tear them from your arms and will let the souls go, even the souls that ye may hunt to make them fly. Ezekiel chapter 13 verse 20. Some of you are like, Pastor Brown, this sermon makes no sense. What in the world are you talking about? First, you're talking about dangerous faith, then you're talking about lions and cages, and now you're talking about a pillow fight in heaven? I'm trying to make sense of this, Pastor. Help me. Well, if you look at that verse, I'm against your pillows. Is, it, is God against our pillows? Does he want us to sleep without pillows? Or, or is it he's going to tear them from, from our arms? Maybe he's against pillow fights. He's going to take them out, out of our hands. And, uh, um, but, but let's, you know, sometimes when you read through the, the passage of Scripture real quick and you don't know what it means, here's an idea. Take another translation of the Bible and look at it and try to figure out what it means. Because let's look at this uh, same verse in the New Living Translation. Verse 20, it says, you can keep the, the KJV up there. But it says, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against all your magic charms which you use to ensnare my people like birds. I will tear them from your arms, setting my people free like birds set free from a cage. I will tear them from your arms, setting my people free like birds set free from a cage. I will tear off the magic veils and save my people from your grasp. They will no longer be your victims. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So this verse is not talking about a pillow fight. It's really talking about God setting his people free as if they're being let out of a cage. In this verse of scripture, you may ask, why were God's people? See, it says my people. Why were God's people in a cage and what caused them to be in a cage? In order to understand that, you have to look at the verse before, verse 19. Verse 19 of, uh, uh, of chapter 13 says, You bring shame on me among my people for a few handfuls of barley or for a piece of bread by lying to my people who love to listen to your lies by lying to my people that hear your lies. Let me just sum all this up real quick. All this up real quick. The Bible is saying here, God is saying, my people 
are ensnared and put in cages because they listen to the lies of the enemy. And these lies essentially become cages to them that they can't come out of, that they can't be delivered from. And I've come to deliver them from their cages. Let me tell you, anything that keeps a bird from flying, a cage keeps a bird from flying, a cage keeps a lion from attacking. It keeps them from doing what they were designed to do. And a cage, any kind of cage, is anything that will keep you from being everything that God intended for you to be. Your faith operating the way God intended for it to operate. Whatever the devil can do to keep you from being what God intended for you to be, he's going to do it, and the way he's going to do it is by telling you lies. But I want to tell you today that God wants to shake us awake and cause us to realize uh, that this faith uh, that we think is in full operation is really kind of caged up and we need to let it out of its cage so that it can be dangerous faith so that it can be faith that strikes fear into the heart of the enemy amen 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 Hallelujah. God never intended for us to practice domesticated faith where we were fearful and where we brought no fear into the heart of the enemy. But when we operate in faith, we come out of the cage that the enemy designed to keep us from being everything that God intended for us to be. Some of you are caged up by lies of the enemy. And your faith's not operating like it should be. And it's time for you to come out of the cage. It's time for you to be everything that God intended for you to be. It's time for you to operate the way God intended for you to operate. See, when you've been serving God for a while, there's a strong tendency or a strong pressure to, to kind of level off and conform. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Find that comfortable zone. Find that comfort zone where instead of finding a comfort zone, and some of us call it spiritual maturity, what it really is is spiritual lethargy. It's laziness. It's being caged up. It's not being what God intended for us to be. And it's time to break out of that cage. It's time to let God operate through you and in you again. I don't know if this makes sense to you or not, but the spirit of what God planted in me last night, uh, I had to go by Walmart yesterday evening after I read the chapter, and I'm walking down the aisles, and I'm asking myself, why am I walking past these people that need Jesus? Why am I so fearful to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why am I so intimidated? Don't I understand that God put me there to wreak havoc on the kingdom of hell, to make Satan nervous every step I take and every where I go, but I only want to do what's comfortable. I only want to step out when I know what the result is going to be. God says that's not faith. That's domesticated, caged up faith. But there's something in my spirit that says if this church is going to grow, we can't grow by sitting in a comfort zone. We can't grow by being settled. We've got to step out and be what God intended for us to be. Somebody clap your hands and praise God. Come on, I feel an aggressiveness in my spirit. It's aggressive faith. Peter stands up in the middle of a group and starts to preach. God starts doing something powerful. They bring him before the powers that be. They say, don't preach anymore in the name of Jesus. They said, try to stop us. Walk out there and they start preaching in the name of Jesus again. Because they had dangerous faith. 
and their faith put them in position to be ridiculed. We become so namby-pamby and thin-skinned that if our witness brings ridicule, we feel like we've been persecuted. If somebody laughs at us or somebody makes fun of us because of our convictions, we feel like we've been ridiculed. But there's something stirring in my spirit that says, I don't want to stay at that plane anymore. I'm tired of this plateau. I'm tired of settling in. I feel like I'm in a cage. God didn't intend for me to be like this. God didn't intend for me to be powerless and weak and neutered. I got teeth in these mouths. I got claws on these paws. God's given me potential. God's given me strength. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody praise the Lord right now. Praise the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Why don't we stand up and praise Him right now? I feel His presence. Come on, stand up and clap your hands and praise Him. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I don't have notes for what I'm doing right now. We got enough notes. Who, who needs notes? Amen. We need to let God lead us and prompt us and direct us. Hallelujah. 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 It's not God's will for us to go months and years without winning a soul. Come on, somebody. It's not God's will that we walk into a room and feel intimidated and fearful. And like nobody wants to hear and nobody wants to be impacted by the Word of God. I'm telling you right now, God's put you where you ought to be as a light. God's anointed you and filled you with the Spirit. Come on, praise Him right now. It's time to get aggressive for Jesus. Hallelujah. Come here, Brother Rick. Come here, come here, come here. Hallelujah. Hey, uh, guess what? Is there anybody that wants this guy to level off and just kind of become domesticated? You, you guys don't want that, do you? Is there anybody that wants to wake up and have this passion and have this fire, have this faith, be dangerous to the enemy? You know, uh, he, he, got the, he received the Holy Ghost almost about ten months ago. And he's told me before, ten months ago, he didn't know anything about the Bible other than maybe what he'd heard going to uh, uh, going to church meetings in the Catholic church where he attended. He not read the Bible much on his own, but he's hungry for God, hungry, hungry, hungry for God. And guess what? In in his gene pool, he's got Simeon Costa's DNA. <laughs> So this last week he said, or uh, uh, this last month he said, I want to do a life group with all new people, and I want to reach out to people that I know in my workplace. And he he put a lot of effort for, forth. He put an article in the or, or an advertisement in one of the, the San Gabriel newspapers for the Bible study that he was doing. And uh, the first week, the first Bible study, he was hoping for 20 people and had what four, four people show up, uh, uh, a woman and her kids. And then this last week, he had six people show up. And uh, I know probably it was a little bit discouraging when, when only four people showed up for that first Bible study. 
But you know what? The enemy wants to cage you up. The enemy wants you to settle down and just kind of simmer, simmer back. He, he doesn't mind you coming to church and he doesn't mind you being a member of the body of Christ. But, but it's when you are getting in his territory that you make him nervous. And as such, God prompts you to take steps that make you feel vulnerable. That make you feel like a little bit exposed. A little bit exposed. But you know what? That's dangerous faith. That's faith. I've heard it this way. Faith is stepping out on nothing. When you put your faith in Jesus, you're going to land on something. You're landing on the Word of God. Amen. Amen. I I wish I could flesh this out and give you specifics, but I, I know right now that God's wanting to prompt us out of our comfort zone. Push us out of our comfort zone. I wonder what would happen if the guy with the keys came through, just like Ezekiel said said, I'm going to break you out of your cage. You don't even realize you've been in a cage. You don't even realize how confined your influence has been. You don't even realize how underneath the potential that God put in you, you've been operating under. But I'm going to open up the cage right now, and I'm going to let you out. You don't have to be intimidated to be a child of God. You don't have to be intimidated to be spirit-filled. You don't have to be intimidated to be a minister. Come here, Jeff. Jeff told me three weeks ago he believed God's called him to the ministry to do something for God to work in his life and minister through his life. Jeff, that's a bold step of faith that you feel prompted by God. But I want you to step out in faith and be aggressive. you got an aggressive personality. Be aggressive for Jesus Christ. Make the enemy nervous. Make the devil nervous. Hallelujah. Be an example. Be an example. Hallelujah. There are others in here, but I want Brother Rick and Brother Jeff just to stand up here for a minute. Because I wonder if there's anybody that wants to join them. That says, I want to do what God tells me to do. I want to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. I want to be prompted by the Holy One of Israel. If there's anybody in here that you may be already operating or you're ready to get out of your cage, I want you to come forward and join these men. Come on, ladies, men, come on right now. It's time for the anointing of God to flow in this place. I'm talking about revival. I'm talking about chains being broken off of people. I'm talking about seeing people filled with the Holy Ghost every time we gather together. Hallelujah. I'm talking about an anointing beginning to flow through these vessels that everywhere we go, we recognize God's anointed us and appointed us to do His will. When God calls me and tells me to speak to somebody, I'm going to do it. When God calls me and tells me to give something to somebody, I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow. I'm going to obey the Holy Ghost. If God tells me to give that man a $100 bill, I'm going to give that man a $100 bill. I'm not going to worry about whether God's going to take care of me or whether I'm going to have enough. I'm talking about dangerous faith where you obey God when it hurts, where you obey God when it doesn't make sense. Hallelujah. 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 Come on. Do you believe that there are some men and women in this place that can be apostles of Jesus Christ, that can step out with anointing and power and make a difference in their world? Come on. That's it. Some of you are linking up. Continue to link up all over this place. Come on, man. Pray with another man right now. Ladies, lay hands on a lady. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus right now. In the name of the Lord. God, we refuse to stay in the cage that the enemy's lies has created for our life. Maybe the enemy's lied to you and said you are a sinner and you messed up. 
You started for Jesus and you stumbled. God doesn't want you. That's a lie of the devil and it's been designed to put you in a cage. Stop listening to the lies of the devil. Stop listening to the lies of the devil. The enemy told you you don't have the right type of personality. The enemy told you you don't have the influence or you were raised in the wrong family. That is a lie to create a cage to keep you from being what God intended for you to be. I want you to break out of it right now. In the name of Jesus, I want you to break out of it. Hallelujah. Come on. Sister Jim, the Holy Ghost is saying it's time to wake the church up. It's time to wake them up. It's time to wake them up. It's time to wake you up. God's given you power and anointing. He's given you power. The Bible says you will receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye will be witnesses. Come on, that's it. God, I pray for a fresh baptism of boldness. Cause us to recognize who we are in Jesus and what we have in you. Come on, that's it. Some of you have been bound up too long. You've been bound up too long. You need to break through. Come on, push till you break through. You need to make up your mind. I'm not going to leave here the same way that I came in. Hallelujah. Wherever you are, God's put you there as an anointed example. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. God's going to change your heart until the prayer room becomes something you long for. Hallelujah. Until you get an appetite for fasting. Until you desire to seek after God with all your heart. Until you have a passion to worship Him. family could enjoy it. God gave you your house so you could use it to to further the kingdom of God. So you could show hospitality and love to people that are hurting and in need in Jesus' name. That's dangerous faith right there. That's faith that puts action into your life. Somebody here that needs the Holy Ghost, lift up your hands. There's somebody that needs a refilling of the Holy Ghost, lift up your hands right now. I'm going to speak a word of faith and God's going to fill you with the Holy Ghost. Come on, lift up your hands right now in Jesus' name. If you need a refilling or if you need the Holy Ghost, lift up your hands. In the name of Jesus Christ right now, I pray that you would pour out your spirit in this place. And in the name of Jesus Christ, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Receive ye a fresh baptism. Receive fresh anointing. In the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Yes, Jesus.
something right now that I feel. This is what I feel. We're going to praise the Lord a little bit more. We're going to praise Him more than we have. Let me tell you why worship is so important. And when I say worship, I don't mean restricted worship. I don't mean worship that's bound up, but I mean worship that's free. Because the Bible makes it abundantly clear that we were created to praise the Lord. 
Is there anybody that knows that I'm telling you the truth when I say we were created to praise the Lord? So God gave you hands not just to earn a living, but He gave you hands so you could wave them in, in the presence of the Lord and so you could clap them before the Lord. I'm really doing what I was designed to do when I praise the Lord. And you know why God gave you your voice? God, God didn't give you your voice so you could go on American Idol. And God didn't give you your voice just so you could yell at your spouse and your kids. But God gave you a voice so you could lift it up like a trumpet in praise to Him. In worship to the Lord. So here's what the devil does. The devil knows if I can keep their praise caged up, then I can keep their witness caged up. If I can keep their worship intimidated, fearful, and kind of wrapped up, then I've got the rest of their witness and testimony wrapped up. Let me tell you what, if you're tied up in church, guaranteed you're going to be tied up of doing anything for God out of church. That's why the first step in battle is to bring praise and worship to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, or I'm sorry, not to Moses, but He said to the leaders of, the, uh, of Israel, send Judah first into the battle. You know what Judah is? Judah is praise and worship. Because that means if I can get loose and quit being intimidated in my praise, then the rest is going to follow. But if I'm tied up and intimidated in my praise, I'm going to be tied up and intimidated in my witness in serving God. And so for a minute, we're going to sing again, and we're going to sing freedom. And I want you to praise God like you feel like praising God. Not the way you think everybody else thinks you ought to praise Him. But I want you to do unto Him what God prompts you to do. Understanding, I was designed to praise the Lord. I was designed to raise my hands. These feet were made for dancing. These arms were made for waving and clapping. This voice was made for shouting. I'm going to send Judah into the battle.
Hey, come on now. We'll be a dancing generation. Just move your feet just a little bit. Just start like this. Your great mercy, Lord. Come on, just step up and step down. That's how you start. We'll be a shouting generation. Shouting come on, move just a little bit. Your great glory, Lord. Come on. Let's just lift our hands right now all across this place. Somebody just love him. Come on, that's it. Lift your hands and lift your voice and praise him. Forget about who's around you for a minute and just lift up your hands and love Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Come on, this is a type of environment where chains can be broken. Hallelujah. People who are bound up can be set free. Come on, it's happening right now. Lift up your hand, just praise Him because God's setting people free. Hallelujah, Jesus. In the name of the Lord Almighty God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Whew, it feels good. Hallelujah. Let the Holy Ghost lead you right now. Somebody's about to get liberated in this place right now in the name of Jesus. Set them free. Come on, reach over and pray with somebody right now. Something's, I just, I, I'm not trying to prolong this, but God's doing something right now. Come on, there's a boldness and an anointing that's in this place that wants to light on somebody so that you're not ashamed to live for God. You're not ashamed to be a child of God. You're not ashamed to be different from the rest of the world. Hallelujah. You're not ashamed to let your light shine. Let's lift one more shout of praise to the Lord right now. Hallelujah. Come on. God, do what you want to do in this place. Hallelujah. 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 In the name of Jesus, send the yoke-breaking anointing, Lord God. Let it flow like a river in this house.
continue to allow the spirit of the Lord to move and flow in this place those that are praying to continue enjoying God's presence having God speak to them remember there is prayer here tomorrow night at 8 o'clock if you can't make it tomorrow night at 8 o'clock decide right now when and where you're going to pray tomorrow you're going to take some time with God if you can't make it tomorrow night 
Say, well, I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to pray in the bedroom or I'm going to pray in the closet or I'm going to pray here. Decide right now because if you don't decide now, chances are you won't pray tomorrow at all. Amen. Be in your life group this week. Continue to pursue Jesus. Get the bold and check what's going on. Just enjoy the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. As they continue to play, you can continue to praise and worship the Lord. You're dismissed to leave at any time. God bless you. It's good to see each and every one of you. Let's go be what God called us to be. In Jesus' name. selling tacos uh, in the back for our young people so head on back they are selling tacos less <laughs> <laughs>